so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You are preparing your sons and daughters for their future. And what you want is your boys to watch you and say, when I grow up, I'm going to love my wife the way I see my daddy loving my mama. And you want your daughters to look at you and say, when I grow up, I'm going to look for a man like my daddy who will love me like I see my daddy loving my mother. Listen to songs, browse through Netflix, or grab the best-selling book, and it will soon become obvious that the biblical view of marriage isn't prized in our society. But it should be for a host of reasons, including the health of our children. That's why Danny Aiken gave a talk titled, How a Strong Marriage Empowers You to Be Strong Parents, at our ERLC National Conference. As we listen, let's think about the ways we can apply his message. We hope you find it helpful. I want you to take your Bible and I want you to join me in the book of Ephesians, the fifth chapter. I'm going to take you there in just a moment. But as we think about this morning, my assignment, how does a strong marriage empower you to be strong uh, parents? I want to put two images before you to think about uh, that I think are very applicable in this context. First of all is the image of boot camp. And the second is the image of a theater. Because I'm convinced that marriage is God's divinely designed boot camp. And he gave it to us to grow us in sanctification toward conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. Or to switch my image for just a moment, I believe marriage is the greatest incubator for our sanctification. Uh, Marriage is a great gift from a wonderful God, but we all know that it involves very very, very hard work. And I don't think there's any area in my life that has been used by God more to develop me in terms of Christ-likeness than the context of marriage, uh, boot camp, uh, getting me ready day by day for the spiritual warfare that is indeed the Christian life. But then a second image I think we need to consider this morning is the image of a theater, where we understand that the husband and the wife, the father and the mother are on the stage as actors. And there we are on full display to our children, to our friends, and to the world. And we get to put on display the beauty of a gospel-transformed man and the beauty of a gospel-transformed woman. A couple who now live up close and personal in a covenantal relationship. But let me apply it as uh, is my assignment specifically to our children. The fact of the matter is your children look up to you as their 
heroes. That's simply the way God designed little boys and little girls. And the fact is, even when they become teenagers, though they may not act like it, they still care a great deal about what you think. Uh, They listen very carefully to what you say, and they pay a whole lot of attention to what you do. Uh, I learned painfully that truth on a number of occasions as our four sons were growing up, but I can think of one particular occasion where it really came home. Uh, We were living in Dallas, Texas at the time, and I was serving on a church staff. They came home one afternoon, and I was going to go out and run. I went upstairs to get ready to run, and my youngest son, Timothy, who at that time was about four, uh, came up into the bedroom and just began to watch me like he would always do, just kind of like a little hawk eyeballing me, and he noticed that I had taken off my uh, my suit. Back then, you had to wear a suit, but I'm more sanctified now. But back then, I had to wear a suit to the church where I was serving, and so I had taken off my suit, taken off all my clothes, put on a T-shirt, and I'd put on my nylon running shorts. And so he noticed, and he said, uh, Daddy, how come you took off your underwear and you didn't put any back on? And so I thought very quickly, and I said, Well, uh, son, uh, th- these are running shorts. Uh, They're like swimming trunks. They've got the underwear inside of them. And he looked at me and he said, well, great. I'd like to see. So I took them off and I handed them to him and he he took them and he looked at them for a few moments, gave them back to me. And he said, "Uh, I don't see any underwear in there. And I did what dads often do. I said, well, son, you just take daddy's word for it. There's underwear in there. Now you go play. I got things to do. And I sent him out of the of the bedroom. Well, we all know who are parents here uh, this morning that our children uh, sometimes don't pay a lot of attention to what we say, but they always pay a lot of attention to what we do. So a couple of weeks later, we were getting ready to go to church, and uh, my wife Charlotte was dressing the four boys, and she got Timothy dressed first, and she had then moved to Paul and Nate and John, and without saying a word to us, Timothy goes upstairs to his bedroom. He takes off his uh, shoes. He takes off his pants. He takes off his underwear, puts his pants back on, puts his shoes back on, never says a word to us about this. And we get in our car and we go to church. Later, I would learn to my eternal horror that shortly after dropping him off in the four-year-old preschool room, Miss Terry came over like she always did, gave him a big old hug. And she looked down and she said, well, Timothy, sweetheart, how are you doing today? And he looked up with a big old grin and he said, I'm just great, Miss Terry. I don't have any underwear on. My daddy doesn't wear underwear, and I don't wear underwear either. Uh, I do wear my underwear, but you will have to take that by faith and not by sight. Now, why did I take you a moment ago to Ephesians chapter 5? Because in God's Word, it is very clear that there is a genetic connection between marriage and family. Ephesians 5 is followed by... Ephesians 6. The end of Ephesians 5 is about what it means to be a godly, spirit-filled wife, what it is to be a godly, spirit-filled husband. And then in chapter 6, he talks about what it means to be faithful children, and he talks about what it means for us to be good parents. And basically, you can break the job description down for every member of the family in two ways. God calls wives to both submit and respect their husbands. God calls husbands to love and to understand their wives. God calls children to obey and honor mom and dad. 
And God calls parents, and in particular fathers, to both educate and encourage their children. Now, I want to take the remainder of my time to speak specifically to the men. And I want to talk about what it means for a husband, in particular, to love well his wife. You say, why do you want to do that? Two reasons. Number one. We're going to see in these verses that it is at the very heart of the gospel that we love well our wives, and indeed, I believe it is their greatest need. Secondly, I believe it is the best way to love well your children. You see, we are told repeatedly by those who study these things that the number one need in the life of a child related to love is security. And nothing brings security in the life of a child like knowing my dad loves my mom, my mom loves my dad, and they'll always be here for me. In fact, I love to say it this way. If I just had 30 seconds, I would say this. Great partners almost always make great parents. And if you will just love well your mate, you will give your children about 95% of all that they need. That's why a strong marriage empowers us to be strong parents. Now, as we look at these verses here before us, Paul develops five different facets of the way that a man is to love his wife. And let me point out, it's very interesting. He will initially ground his theology of marriage in salvation and the atonement. Then later he will ground his theology of marriage in creation. And so he gives a very strong theological grounding to why it is that a man is to relate in this kind of a way to his wife. And so let me just note these for you very quickly. Number one, a husband's love for his wife should be sacrificial. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. How, Paul? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That word love is a verb. It's an imperative word of command. It's also in the present tense, which means this is to be the pattern or the habit of a man's life. And Paul says, you want to know how to love well your wife? You look to the cross, you reflect upon how God in Christ has loved you, and then in the same way, you go and love your wife, and you love her sacrificially. Now, I know a lot of men that will say something like this, well, Danny, I'd be willing to die for my wife. Well, that's wonderful. But will you help her wash the dishes? Danny, I would give my life for my wife. Great. But will you help change dirty diapers? Oh, I would do anything in this world for my life, even putting my life on the line. Great. But will you block off time in your life to spend time with the children and sometimes just give her some time to be by herself? See, it's one thing to talk about it on a very high, lofty level, but it's another thing altogether to do it day in and day out. And he says your love for your wife should be a sacrificial love, grounding his theology of marriage in the atonement. He then says, secondly, your love should be a sanctifying love. He says in verse 26, Christ gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or a wrinkle or any such thing, but that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, it's very easy for us to see how those verses relate to Christ and the church. But how do these verses relate in terms of our marriage? And I think it works out like this. Because your wife is married to you, not in spite of the fact that she's married to you, but because she is married to you, she is both encouraged and enabled 
to grow to be more like Jesus. You see, the word sanctification is a big theological term, but it just means to grow in Christ-likeness. And so a question I ask myself on a regular basis, and I have to be honest with you, I'm not always happy with the answer, but I will ask myself, is my love for Charlotte, we've been married 39 years, is my love for Charlotte helping her, encouraging her, enabling her to grow to be more like Christ? Or am I actually loving her in a way that uh, hinders her and makes it more difficult for her to grow to be more like Christ? Our, Our love should be a sanctifying kind of love, men. But thirdly, our love should be a sensitive kind of love. Look at what he says there in verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife is actually loving well himself. Paul's argument is simply this. You take care of you. You pay attention to you. You know when you're having a good day or a bad day. And so in the same way, you should love your wife. I like to use this image, guys. I believe God calls us to develop a marital radar system, a marital radar system. So we're sending out signals and we're picking back up those signals. Now, I'll be the first to acknowledge when we first married, very young, 21 and 19, uh, my radar system did not work very well at all. Uh, In fact, it was highly, highly underdeveloped. And uh, I would even acknowledge today it's not yet perfect. It's not yet where it needs to be. But I can tell you this. My wife can walk into a room and I can tell you, happy girl, unhappy girl. She can turn and look at me and I can tell you, this is going to be a good day or a different kind of day. Now, I couldn't do that when I was 21 years of age. I can do it now that I'm 60 because over the years and over the decades, I have come to be more sensitive to who she is, not just as a woman, but to be sensitive to her as Charlotte Tammy Aiken, the woman with whom I've spent uh, almost four decades of my life. And the Bible says we love our wives in a sensitive kind of a way. But then fourthly, the Bible says we are to love our wives in a satisfying kind of a way. Look at what he says there in verse 29. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Both the word nourish and cherish are present participles, which again speak of continuous, ongoing action. And the idea is this. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he continually feeds and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. He continually honors just as Christ does the church. So a great question again for us guys to ask is this. Is my wife being fed by the way I love her? And is my wife feeling special, be called to the way I love her. In other words, does your wife believe uh, this morning that outside of Jesus, nobody matters more to you than to she? Not your ministry, not your job, not even the children. In fact, I so agree with the insights of Dennis Rainey and, and Gary Chapman and a number, uh, number of others that if you think you are loving well your children by giving them more time and attention than you are your mate, you're making a huge mistake. You are preparing your sons and daughters for their future. And what you want is your boys to watch you and say, when I grow up, I'm going to love my wife the way I see my daddy loving my mama. And you want your daughters to look at you and say, when I grow up, I'm going to look for a man like my daddy who will love me like I see my daddy loving my mother. 
One of the great blessings for me personally in the last few years is independent of one another, I have received letters or emails from my three daughter-in-laws, four uh, four sons, three are married, and they have said to me in a very sweet and gentle and affirming kind of way, thank you for teaching my husband how to love me. Now, there are a lot of things that could be said that would bless a dad, but I have to tell you, that's right at the top of the list that they watch me love their mother and then in turn have gone out, and I think they've actually far excelled what I've done, but they have loved their wives well in a pattern that they picked up from their dad in those 20 years that they were in our home. Finally, he says in verse 33 that we should love our wives in a very specific kind of a way. Let each one of you love his wife as himself. In other words, what is he saying there? I think he's simply saying this. We should love our wives in such a way that our, I'll go backwards here, our enemies know, our friends know, but especially our children know, hey, my daddy, he is a one-woman kind of man, and he is in love with, and he is committed to, and he is devoted to only one woman, and that one woman is his wife, that one woman is my mother. So let me close. When you love your mate well, you are loving your children well. And your children first see love and come to understand what it is by watching the way you love one another. It points them to a heavenly bridegroom and the affection that he has for his bride And it is a part of a godly heritage and legacy that you hope by God's grace and for his glory, you will have the blessing of leaving behind. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the wisdom that you give us in your word. I thank you for the challenge that you give men to love well their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Yes, Lord, we should be willing to lay down our lives for our wives But, Lord, we should also be willing to do the little things as well. And, Father, may we never forget that we are indeed put on a stage in a theater and there are little eyes that are watching us all of the time. May they be trained well for their future marriages by what they see in their dad and in their mom day in and day out. We ask and pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the ERLC podcast. You can find more information about our podcast and today's topic by visiting ERLC.com. And join us next week as we hear a panel discuss how we can raise kids who embrace diversity.